that's ISO. Rack it up, rack it up, I got a bit of the bank to make me a safe house. Shake it up, shake it up, she got her hands on her knees and she bringing a cake out. Smoke it up, smoke it up, I got some gas, some packs, I'm up in the greenhouse. Ball it up, ball it up, I'm with the gang, we taking shots off the rebound. Today, it is my great pleasure to uh, welcome Frank Coles, journalist, explorer, best-selling author of How to Drive a Tank and Other Everyday Tips for the Modern Gentleman. Frank and I met literally on our way to an expedition to the North Pole. We spent two weeks in the icy tundra, both of us going, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, the next time we see each other, it is the middle of July. We are in the Jordanian desert trying to film with a camera that has to be in air conditioning because it's too hot for the camera. Okay. Fantastic to see you as well, mate. Um, I'm all right, yeah, I'm all right. Um, we've, uh, I've got two kids and uh, we're separated from the mother and we've all had COVID. So um, we got that about seven weeks ago and we split the childcare in half, so literally 50% of the time. And the kids have just come over to me after about three, four days, they both started coming down with symptoms. And then so did my ex over at her house. And then a few days after I started coming down with them. So I had to isolate them here to start with. And then happily, because we've all had it at the same time, we, um, I guess weirdly, as a divorced couple, uh, we kind of still have a have, have one house kind of rule, really. So we're isolated between two houses still at this stage. And um, uh, one of the things that's kind of become apparent as time has gone on is um, that it hasn't really covered in the, the media much is um, fatigue. There was a, a guy from Cochrane the other day bemoaning that he'd been uh, living uh, living hell for seven weeks after actually having the infection. And I can say that that's the same with my kids and my ex. My ex is kind of almost fully recovered after five weeks. My daughter's pretty good. She's seven. And my son, who would normally do four to five days of sport a week, um, is absolutely exhausted after half an hour of either a walk or a gentle kickabout. So what was the experience for the adults and what was the experience for the children? Okay, so we had what I guess would be classed as the neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. So rather than just the straightforward um, temperature and cough, we had a bit of that. Um, but the main thing was aches, pains, eye pain was a really, really big one. Um, massive amount of headaches, um, the loss of uh, taste and smell. Right. I only even realized that I'd gone last week when it came back with a vengeance. I, I, I hadn't really noticed mm -hmm. it, it must have gone very gradually. But literally, I woke up one morning, got out of bed, and went, what the hell is this smell? And it was just normal, normal life. Um, but I just completely... Okay, I got to ask you, did you either eat anything you wouldn't have eaten, or did you notice that things that you were eating suddenly weren't, you know, what you thought they were? Did you have any experience? Definitely. Opening the fridge was a... It felt like a life-threatening experience. Um, it was... Um, so things, just normal things, like cheese. Uh, like not even, not even strong, smelly cheese, but just normal kind of cheddar was just kind of like, oh my God, what the hell is that? And um, happily, I, I just kind of went back to... I lived in Thailand for a while. And I, I went back to eating Thai style, which is very strong flavours and tastes. And that's kind of sorted me out now, because everything... I just put it straight up there and went, right, let's right. just zap the senses, and then we'll get back to normal. Now everything's too bland again. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, but, I totally, totally get that. Let me go back a bit. Okay. As I do in the beginning of these interviews, let's talk beginning of the year. Okay. What were your expectations or goals for the coming year? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'd had this leptospirosis infection that I'd picked up in Pakistan the year before. It had been mistreated and I'd ended up 
wiped out and exhausted for nearly all of last year. I'd, it cost me a lot of money. I effectively couldn't work really. I then started a new kind of uh, semi-permanent job in November, which I'm furloughed from now. Um, but at the same time, I was doing that on the side. I was also um, uh, I was also learning to trade, um, which was um, interesting. Trade Maybe sports trading. Oh. Uh, no, maybe sports trading. Uh, it's the same, same principles, exactly the same principles, except um, I have to work everything around childcare. So uh, for me, the, the, the appealing thing about that, well, the thing is, I sat down in January, I, I literally did an audit of my life mm. the previous year because certain things had worked, certain things hadn't. Yeah. And the thing that had actually made me some money was, was trading. So my, my dad used to be a bookmaker and he okay. died 20 years ago. But before he died, the, the internet kind of, you know, was just, Kick, you know, building up uh, speed yeah. really and things like uh, Betfair Exchange which is a kind of trading exchange for, for gambling markets um, had come into existence and we, we were toying with that so I was just bored out of my mind on the sofa just trying to find anything to do other than watch Netflix I'd wa- I've watched every bo- uh, box at End of the Sun I just I can't watch another TV show okay um, I gotta ask you what was your go-to TV series oh man so many of them um Literally, I was literally on the sofa half of last year. So, um, God. anything that you wouldn't usually watch, or that just you know. Uh, well, I used to work in TV, so I used to have to watch yeah. TV as part of my job. So I kind of come to anything, but I did get into RuPaul's Drag Race, which I wouldn't have normally watched. I love to hear that because I've gone through the entire thing of Project uh, Project uh, Runway. But it's hilarious because there's some part of me that's going, oh, no, girlfriend, do not put those together. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, totally. Well, well, the interesting thing about the RuPaul stuff is, uh, as you know, I've sort of done all that, you know, like that book you mentioned earlier on. That, that's one book I've done. I've done other books. But that book was interesting from a kind of um, a male perspective because it's kind of, it was kind of all the kind of uh, stereotypical male skills. And originally it was titled, uh, and this would have been a far more fun book if it had gone with the original title. It was originally titled The Badass Bible. All I wanted to do was just do literally every badass skill set that every man has ever wanted to do, right? Including most women. Because when you get out and do these things, there's loads of women there as well, right? No, I actually go back to the video we made when you were doing the book um, about hot wiring a car. Yeah. Because I'd forgotten how to. And no, I don't steal cars, obviously. But as we know, in the desert, when you're on expedition and things like that, the last thing you want to do is think about whether you lost the keys or not. So you just okay. take the block out. There's no AAA in the middle of the desert. You know, so it's, <laughs> exactly. a, <laughs> so it's, exactly. it's just one of the things that's been really important for me recently is, um, so one of the things that happened last year as well is I actually got, I haven't told you this, but I actually got a diagnosis of autism towards the end of last year. Um, so autism, like a spur, a ah, autism, Asperger's type, type of diagnosis. Yeah. Now, um, I've been working with the guys, part of the stuff I was doing abroad, um, uh, who's working out on the Arabian Peninsula, because they have, um, they have uh, the Dubai government is now uh, expanding this scheme, which is to say that uh, the way they're treating their own citizens with uh, different skill sets has been wrong. They've been trying to emulate the West, and they're very good at that. Um, but what they realise by looking at their own culture and also... Um, Western culture. So with Western culture, they realize that the head of every company in the West has, has a, how can we put it, neurological divergence. They're different. Yeah. They're not like normal folk, right? Clearly. Um, so they're, they're different in one way or another. Um, and uh, one of the things I got from that Bedouin project, or Bedouin project, I should say, um, which, I, which I share regularly with these kinds of people is, uh, I can't remember his name, but do you remember there was the guy from the tribe who... Um, the I, I don't know, 
yeah. Um, yeah. But it was kind of, he was part of the culture. Yes. And the, 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 the simple take on it um, that my friend has taught me is that it's this, um, it's obviously Dubai and the, the ruling family, families mm -hmm. there are all Bedu in, in origin. Is that their take on it is that a disability, as we would call it over here, is a gift from God. Um, and it's the tribe's responsibility to work out how to use that uh, for uh, in, their, in the best way possible. And they have a great phrase for um, uh, people with different abilities, whether it's physical or neurological. And it's, uh, uh, what was the phrase? It's, it's persons of determination. That's it. So uh, instead of calling them disabled, they're called people of determination. That's it. That's the phrase. All right. Um, but um, now let's look at this. You guys have gone through uh, COVID. You've gone through everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's four months later. We're looking at today. How has your yeah. life changed? How is your work changing? How is your situation changing? Well, all of the stuff that I'd started doing, so the trading stock was all sport. I mean, literally. So that was that end. The, with the day job that I do, which is a kind of um, uh, head of partnership thing for a my friend who works out in Cyprus, is developing property out there. Um, all of that's suddenly on hiatus because obviously nobody could travel. Um, so it's, uh, and nobody knows what's happening economically. So a lot of this was based around high net worth individuals and investing in tourism infrastructure. But if there's no tourism, there's nothing to invest in. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so all of that's kind of, uh, so in the UK, um, we have a furlough scheme where employed workers get paid um, up 80%, up to 80% of their salary and it's capped to a certain level. It kind of doesn't quite cover my costs, but it kind of almost does. So well, it's um, regular. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 they're changing it. They haven't covered everybody. Um, so self-employed are basically shafted. Small business owners are basically shafted. Right. After all the sort of you know impetus to you know be entrepreneurial, they basically just left them in the dirt. They're kind of going to start restricting it from the end of July. Um, so that that will change quite rapidly. I think I think things after that will change quite rapidly. And that kind of leads us to today's the first day that you can walk out of lockdown. You're standing at your door. You can yeah. do anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. What's the first thing you want? I want to go up a mountain. Yeah? Yeah, I love my mountain. So after all our types of experiences abroad, um, the one thing I realized um, was that I'd lived, before I met you, I'd lived in rural Thailand, so I'd lived in a jungle, and I'd lived in, in, a, in a variety of places, and I'd lived in um, rural France in a variety of places, and then I came back to big cities. Yeah. I especially remember coming back from the North Pole trip and getting to, it was like four planes to get home, but I remember getting to Paris, and um, mm. just sitting in Paris, the, the airport, um, Charles de Gaulle, just kind of going, Jesus, all these people. I mean, it, was, it was like landing on, alien, on an alien planet, literally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and the energy and the noise and the, yeah. Yeah. the the noise, especially you don't realize, I think, until you've kind of really been exposed to proper wilderness. I mean, the wilderness can be noisy as well, don't get me wrong, but it's a different kind of, yeah. um, it, it's not like, there's always like, I think with what I noticed in Newcastle, where I'm based now, is that it's, you know, there's cars everywhere, and but that's stopped recently. Yeah. So, um, so suddenly, your anxiety levels actually go down and it makes me wonder whether um the constant roaring of traffic is just simply like the constant underlying roar of a lion or something like that that kind of raises everybody's anxiety levels a bit because you can well, see I, it in everybody around here there's an effort required yeah. to ignore it um yes. i noticed yes. during lockdown here suddenly yeah. a vacuum a void 
And okay. it was so beautiful to me. Yeah. Maybe it's because you and I actually do better away from cities and civilizations. It was so beautiful to me that I must admit, um, there's a big part of me that hates the end of lockdown. The noises come back, the vibration has come okay. back, all of this. Um, there's some fear of the way people are reacting, but more than anything, it's just the noise of cars, yeah. of things yeah. like that. And I think the effort to block those out creates a baseline stress for a lot of people. I know it does for me. Very much, very much. Um, I mean, I have, um, with the autism stuff, I have uh, hypersensitivity to sound and to light anyway. So that kind of that adds into that. And I've, I've learned to manage that over the years. Um, but as you say, it requires a kind of, um, it has a cognitive cost, if you like. It, they, yeah. they, you know, there's, you know there's, there's energy expended just doing that. Um, yeah. All right. So do you think there's anything you'll miss about lockdown other than the noise, which we are, you know? Yeah, for me, it's, um, I mean, for me, just the, the sheer amount of free time to do stuff with my kids. So the whole homeschooling thing, Mm -hmm. And very quickly, it became apparent that um, all the teachers had been asked to provide lots of homeschooling material in a panic, in a last minute rush, and close down schools in about three days. So we just bombarded with all this stuff. And there was like, well, there's no way and there's no point. Um, they're all going to end up being taught at different standards. Yeah. The teachers will bring them up to speed again when they get back to school. So I kind of knocked that on the head in the first week. Um, and then I kind of figured, well, what? what can I teach them from the things that I know from travel, from making TV programs, from writing books, from all that sort of stuff. And so we're doing um, home ed, I guess, as um, uh, home education as uh, stuff that I can teach them. So I'm teaching them to, at the minute we're doing a whole sort of channel breakdown. They both love YouTube and their gaming and all this. Mm -hmm. So I'm teaching them how to record different uh, video feeds, how to add Ooh. narrative, how to add intros, how to create a channel, how to create uh, kind of structured content so you can kind of, keep it easy and keep coming back, keep making more without getting bored and they have to re reinvent it every time. So that's just one thing. They're brilliant cooks now. <laughs> They're really good. So, wait, uh, let me bread, get this cakes, so, so you're pimping out your children, basically. Yeah, sure. Anybody yeah. needs a, a mini chef need a um, or Thank a mini videographer? Dad can relax now. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, but yeah, that would be the main thing, I think, just that kind of lack of... Um, Again, from living in wilderness areas as well, um, yeah. and areas where there's different economies. Um, so we're, we're very fixated on um, uh, making money and all the rest of it. Um, but it's not really necessary. It's not always the most effective way to get value either. So you might get this where you are, but when I lived in rural France, uh, and I'd heard about this years ago and thought it was a load of nonsense, but they, they still have a, a barter economy yeah. in parts of it anyway. Um, and people don't realize how rural France actually is. And I just remember there was this, uh, uh, I was staying in a place just outside Angers in the north and uh, a local farmer asked if I'd come and help uh, build yeah. a, a barn for one of his horses with him. I did, got my hands up, did all this stuff. But my payment wasn't money, it was uh, excess from the farm. So they had goats. Yeah. So every day for the next two, three months, I can't remember how long, I got uh, milk and cheese delivered to my, to my doorstep every morning. Beautiful milk and cheese as well. If yeah. I'd gone to the local market, I would have had to drive 15, 20 kilometers. I'd have had to pay the premium for the people having the market stall, the rest of it. But instead, just turn up my doorstep every morning. I'd go and help him out anytime he wanted to top that up, um, to buy simple things from the shops or what was what was uh, in season. 
life was much simpler, much richer. And I had the same thing in Thailand as well, actually. Um, I don't no, know if you I get had, the same thing. I had that in Tuscany, but mm -hmm. our needs are little anyways. And between really? friends and other people, because we have an NGO and we have to watch costs and stuff, I, we yeah. only have a vehicle when we need one. We only have, yeah. we don't have those base costs. And therefore, after the initial shock, after the initial panic, if you want, yeah. after a week, we were like, you know, nothing has changed that much here. Yeah. You brought up a major characteristic that I've found in um, freelancers, in independent workers, um, yeah. which is, it's not only that we're, they're adaptable, we're adaptable, is that we're willing to try even though we don't know if it will work. There's this assumption that yeah. you have to try several things before you find one that works. You don't know where you, you don't know what good or perfect is going to look like sometimes until you've kind of veered off and you've gone that way and uh, kind of fell into a bit of that kind of old habitual thinking, if you like. Mm -hmm. sort of, I hate to call it normal life, but sort of, you know, everything's got to be perfect, plotted out, you know, you've got to go to school, you've got to go to university, you've got to do this job, go this way, get the mortgage with the kids, all that, that kind of pre-planning way. There's nothing wrong with preaching. But do you think the children had yeah. an impact on that desire? Of course it did, yeah. Um, um, no, it wasn't even desire. It was unconscious kind of. But I noticed it in my writing work. In the, And I stopped writing at this point because I, I stopped enjoying it. Um, I liked planning out my stuff and I was good at like a story. And actually that improved my stories. Um, but I found I got too anxious about it. And I think this, you see this a lot in society and in what you're kind of uh, – talking about there is, is almost that anxiety that you can't do it because you'll fail. But actually the point of failure is to get to the good stuff and you learn from failing. So that's probably the, the lesson I teach my kids more than anything. There's the, you know, the, the good stuff is in the failure. Because to me, epic failure is actually mm -hmm. where you need to get to to understand it's time to change, rethink, transform, whatever. The failure is in still trying to stay in the direction you're going. It's like skiing, it's like mountain climbing and everything. You don't yeah. fall, you're not trying. You're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, when you were talking about bankruptcy earlier on, I had that experience. I, I went bankrupt in, where was it, 2001, 2002? But I remember going through this process, and it's probably similar to what a lot of people are going through now. I, I put it off for a year because of the shame. Yeah. Um, but the shame comes from the, it comes from really the old workhouse mentality. Yeah, um, I did a project on workhouses in the '90s, and it was it was fascinating to see because it was it was all about shaming people. Yeah, it was all about you know you've you've corrupted things, you're evil, you're this, you're that, the other, and it was uh, something to threaten people with, so they stayed in debt and they stayed working, um, it was keeping them in slavery effectively. One of the things I do still to this day is judge myself um, probably too harshly. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Especially it, creatives, especially we would not be pushing ourselves. We wouldn't be trying the things if we could accept what other people accept. Yeah. There's a little, there's a little quote which goes something like, um, if you realize that you weren't going to fail, what would you try? But um, I've been playing with this the last week. It's like, if you realize that nobody's going to judge you, what would you do? And that's, that's quite a liberating little one to play with. So it's making me go, all right, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yes. Do that. Suddenly it's, it's opened up a little channel of things it's for me. funny you say that because my, my immediate reaction is yeah. my creativity will disappear. So it's mm -hmm. actually the trying to prevent failure that opens yeah. me to try different things I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, there's part of me that thinks the fear is necessary, but the judgment yeah. is maybe negative. I'm not sure, you know. 
Well, I don't know. You're making me reconsider. I, I, I will not reconsider it, but you're right in terms of the creative thing and judgment as well, because sometimes you judge yourself to kind of push yourself a bit further, yeah. don't you? But I think we can go too far with it. So I think yeah. it's, it's finding that balance. It's, it's going, right, come on, you can do better than this. But at the same time, once you've done a bit, it's going, oh, I'm going to put that down there. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to take it to bed with me. I'm not going to do this. I'm yes. going to do that. Yes. Um, so let's, you know, how big can we, you know, how big can we be? One thing I have found is that I don't, coming back to the UK and been here for, what, 10 years in a kind of fairly formulaic kind of middle-class existence, I guess, yeah. um, is that uh, I relish a bit of anxiety and danger, really, but a different kind. A different kind. So the, the normal day... Challenge. Yeah, challenge. So it's more the, the, the situations that you or I would put ourselves into where people would feel uncomfortable, which actually I feel very comfortable. Um, <laughs> and actually more... normal... Yeah, more comfortable than normal life. So for me, normal life is a, it, it creates more anxiety than something probably more dangerous, um, more anxiety inducing, or more. Look, you're in the middle. Of, you're in the middle of uh, of an expedition. You yeah. aren't thinking about the rent. You're not thinking about the next job. You're not thinking about any of that. Okay, yeah. and I think it's that bringing me to the moment. The absolute moment that I love about that. Victor Boyarsky, when we went with him to the North yeah. Pole, first time we met him was in a hotel conference room. He looked so small and so uncomfortable that I thought, oh my God, this guy's leading us to the North Pole. Next huh. time we see him is on the yeah. ice pack, his hair standing up in all directions. <laughs> he is huge. And let's not even talk about the morning he woke us up to do an Arctic shower in bikini shorts and poured like, <laughs> I know there's so much more to me and so much more I can do, give whatever, that sometimes when I get into this normal life, I feel yeah. less, uh, not like a superhero, but just less like yeah. me. Yeah, less less capable, less able, all those sorts. I totally get it. So I don't feel after special. People at the time are going, why are you doing this? You're going to put yourself in harm's way. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. And it's like, well, I can see. I can join the dots. I can see why I do this. It's yeah. obvious to me. And so, because it's obvious to me, that's a skill that I've got, I should probably go and do it. And that's almost, a, that's almost a thing. That, I think, is exactly what I mean. It is that. It's the full use of whatever this organic instrument was born with and has developed. Is there anything that scares you or makes you nervous, either for yourself or for your culture, with lockdown ending? With lockdown ending? Yeah. Uh... It's more that it'll be business as usual. Mm. Um, I think we have a, a, an amazing opportunity here to change things for the better. We have, you know, this is a re relatively minor um, hiccup on the uh, humanities road, or bump, uh, mixing metaphors there, but a, a minor bump in humanity's path, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, we've got bigger things. We've got uh, the environment, the greenhouse gases, uh, overpopulation. We've got a belief in economic, economic systems, which are basically, listen, they're, they're invented, but we're, we're trapped by them. So that's my main concern is that we just go back to business as usual. And the, the thing that coming back to the UK made me realize, and I realized it beforehand, but it really hammered it out, is that this country being the second largest media market in the world is really, really dangerously media-led. It's easy to persuade people to do what you want here. That was so perfect. I'd really like to end there because that, I think, is an important message that I feel uh, and I know you feel 
Uh, I want to thank you, Frank. It's great to see you again. Hopefully, someday in the near future, we'll be somewhere interesting together. Yeah, that'd be good, mate. That'd be very it good. Would be fun. Rack it up, rack it up, I got a bit of the bank to make me a safe house. Shake it up, shake it up, she got her hands on her knees and she bringing a cake out. Smoke it up, smoke it up, I got some gas, some packs, I'm up in the greenhouse. Ball it up, ball it up, I'm with the gang, we taking shots off the rebound.